0: Welcome back, parents. In today's hyper-connected world, children as young as 11 are more exposed than ever to extremist groups who are aggressively targeting them on platforms popular with teens. For example, a neo-Nazi organization recently ran a social media recruitment campaign using gaming imagery and memes that received 800,000 views from boys aged 12 to 15. Today, we're joined by clinical psychologist, Dr. Emily Bashaw, a leading expert on radicalization and co-author of Addictive Ideologies, Finding Meaning in Agency When Politics Fail You. Dr. Bashaw will walk us through this alarming trend and provide practical solutions to safeguard our teens from radical influences. Dr. Bashaw, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Cam. I appreciate being on on such an important topic
0: This is a really big topic, and I want to just first start with a little backstory. What inspired you to start focusing on addictive ideologies, and what exactly is that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So my partner, Paul, and I were really interested in these trends globally um, that were causing genocides or excusing terrorism or condoning violence to such a mass scale of human rights abuses across the globe. So we did a deep dive and illustrated my family's survival out of uh, persecution being Jews in Iraq during the rise of the Ba'ath Party in our book, Addictive Ideologies. Um, And what we found was, and we we also did some studies, uh, we were recently in Bosnia meeting with community and political leaders studying the Bosnian genocide and what happened there. And what we found was masses of people were relinquishing their agency to the political powers, and what made them vulnerable was that they felt defeated or they were angry because they felt like they had something that they lost. Um, And leadership were able to point the finger to a group and say, it's this group that's the cause of all of your problems and really offer a very simple solution and narrative. And when people feel committed because of tribal tribalism and tribal beliefs, and it really pushes them to more of those extremist ends. So if people are perceiving themselves as a victim, this is one of the biggest risk factors that we're seeing that recruiters – Um, can utilize propaganda to influence and and come into the mind and the psyche of an individual, sometimes unbeknownst to them, um, and giving rise to more of these extremist attitudes and ideologies. So when you see yourself as a victim, you're more likely to dehumanize this outgroup. And that way, when violence is happening to them, you really don't feel any empathy or compassion for them because you really don't see them as human. You don't see the shared humanity that you exist or coexist with them. Um, And so that's when violence can uh, increase and condoning um, all kinds of perpetrations against these outgroups. And that's, that's what we've been seeing. I I do forensic work as well. Um, I, do evaluations on people who are facing life sentences, um, committed capital crimes, uh, also convicted of domestic terrorism. And so some of these are are the trends that I'm seeing in the work that I do.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy you're here because we talk a lot about, I think, a, a softer view of this, and it's not soft, but a softer view of this is even on social media, we a lot of people will say pretty nasty things to people because we've dehumanized them, because we're not seeing them. You know, we're, we're like a, anonymous almost and saying things. So I think we even see that trend growing and then it just becomes bigger and bigger. And we talk so much about how to help the victims and what the victims need to do to protect themselves. And I don't feel like there's enough conversation, but how do we prevent the people that are doing this? and, you know, that are the ones that are going out there and saying these things. And I think this is this level of building up people's resistance or tolerance to some of the things that you're saying, like you were saying, when we get to extremists, they don't go immediately there. They're they're building them up to get there, right? So let's talk about our teenagers and how are they kind of impacted or influenced by this thinking, especially when their parents don't think that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot to unpack that's there. I think just looking at youth and adolescence, it's an awkward age. There's a lot of identity searching um, and trying on of different ideologies um, and fitting into groups, not wanting to be ostracized and maybe finding one's attitudes and perceptions really more gelling with the group, it becomes more complicated on social media because you're right. There is this element of humanity that is taken away. Just imagine if somebody said something to you that you didn't like, but you cared about what this person thought about you, but then you went and complained to your friend about them. The way you talk about them to your other friend is not the same as you're going to talk about them and how hurt you were, or what happened, or what they said, and how you responded to it. You're going to be more cautious if you care about that relationship. Obviously, if you don't care about that relationship, you may just say whatever is on your mind unfiltered, but you're going to be more filtered when you um, approach that person, especially if you care about maintaining that relationship, Um, or you see how they're responding to you in terms of their facial cues and nonverbals. That is all stripped Away, When you're on social media, you just have no gauge of how other people are responding aside from likes or dislikes or memes that people are posting. And and you're getting such short um, bursts of responses. It can be really hard um, and oftentimes misleading or misinforming what other people's attitudes truly are. And and so there's a lot of information that gets missed. And and so I I definitely recommend we need to build more resilience um, rather than promoting safety. Obviously, we need physical safety, that's very important. Um, but I think what parents can do to support their teens is really think critically it's hard. The frontal lobe is still developing. So logical thought, foreplanning, thinking about consequences, um, discerning your judgment, having insight, all of that, impulsivity, impulse control, that's all part of our frontal lobe. And um, that's now developing up until the late 20s. So if you think about adolescence, some of the hallmarks of adolescence is impulsivity, poor judgment, um, immediate gratification. Uh, So if you're thinking about all those things, we have to maybe think about creating some buffers or parameters around them as a parent. Um, uh, Your relationship, a parent's relationship with their youth is going to be the biggest protective factor and buffer against any kind of recruitment online. Um, They're preying upon vulnerabilities of youth and and if you have a close relationship to your to your child who's in adolescence that's going to be the biggest protective factor having them come talk to you about their stressors what's going on for them who who they fought with today um who ridiculed or humiliated them in public or online and how did they handle it Help them navigate and problem solve rather than telling them what to do as an authority figure. You're equipping them with skills, real life skills that they're going to utilize for the rest of their life and and help build those skills with them. Question the attitudes and perceptions of their peers. Question the information that they're receiving online, um, who it would hurt and how damaging that would be. How are they contributing to harm? Um, those are
0: all really important questions, and help help your y- youth navigate those, so, Dr. Peshaw, I had a friend who, and this was several years ago, and it just has stuck with me so much. And she had a or has a really good relationship with her son. Like, I've seen them very good. And she came to me in a panic because, Her son was getting targeted, and she could tell that he was getting targeted with this extremist communication. And it was starting to get more and more tenuous having these conversations because he was hearing this over and over again. And we know that kids, again, are susceptible, but they also want to know, right? They want they want to be the experts. And so the conversations were getting tougher because he was getting more set in what he believed and more disbelieving in what his parents believed. So I want to even though he had a good co- communication, right? So I want to first ask you, how can we tell or what are some of the signs that our teens may be targeted or may be getting some of these messages?
1: Um, I would look for mood shifts and, um, and behavior changes as warning signs. Um, and, and this could be, you know, maybe some signs or symptoms of depression or signs and symptoms of anxiety or bursts of irritability and anger, um, look to those as warning signs that there's probably something deeper that's going on in, in your child um I think challenging authority and challenging parents is part of adolescence. So um, I think really as a parent, trying not to engage in a power struggle with your youth, but really trying to equip and enable them to think more critically and treat them with respect, treat them as, as an individual, as an ally, someone that you really believe in and believe that they're going to be capable and competent. Um, And I think when you treat them with that kind of respect, you may be getting a different kind of response from them. Um, It's hard on the social media platforms. I think... Um, you know, some of the best things is going to be like sports or like competitive sports or athletics or other hobbies or interests or things that they really enjoy that they can immerse themselves in and feel like they're a part of this community. Um, online is not a real community. It's illusory. And so people can feel like they're connected to others online. But really, it's, it's not true reality. Um, And so I would really encourage a parent to think about um, how much time are they being involved in this online community and how could we maybe move them to something that's more pro-social and and healthy while still um, allowing them to do their research, investigate causes that are informative and interesting and important to them. And really take them further. Say, you know, I know this great place. Let's go and talk to these people. I know that they have a history um, of this thing that you're interested in. I know it's hard we're kind of talking about. <laughs> if you want to be more specific about some other things or maybe give some other examples without, um, you know, releasing any anything that's private, uh, it could be more helpful. But, but you know, maybe go further than than them, and say, "Well, have you thought about this? And have you thought about that? Let's go talk to this person. I'll set up a call with this person. Um try and find mentors and leaders in the community that might be able to guide them. It can be hard as a parent, especially if the youth is engaging in a power struggle with you um, to for them to really listen and appreciate. What what it is yeah. that you're sharing or having? Well, to say.
0: and when your kids start saying, you know, it's one thing if they're saying, you know, I like blue and you like green. It's different when they start bringing, you know, start communicating very extremist ideologies and beliefs that you see are, you know, racist or misogynistic or anything like that. I think we go into immediate like we got to shut that down mm-hmm, mode, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so we kind of become like, no, that's wrong. Which just strengthens their, you know, ability to say or desire to say, no, this is right. So I think that's what's really hard is how do we broach that with them to help them, you know, fig learn more, kind of, kind of dig underneath the reality of what's going, what can we do or what, how can we educate our kids about what these extremist groups are doing and how they're doing it? Because I know it's very, from what I've heard, and again, I don't know if it's true, so I'm going to ask you, I've heard there's like algorithms where if a kid goes down this path, the next thing they go is a little bit more extreme. And it's, it's like, you know, that boiling the frog thing where they do it very slowly and kids don't even realize they're in it. How do we educate our kids about that method and have the conversations with them that aren't going to create that power struggle, but rather help open their mind up to other ideas?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, at that time, really teaching them Socratic questioning um, helped them find the evidence for how, how factual or true is this. Um, the biggest thing that can inform and shape perceptions is experience. And so if you notice that, you know, your, your youth is developing sexist attitudes or beliefs or um, anti-Semitic or racist or Islamophobia, um, really take them to places where they're meeting with people who are representative of those groups and Spend days with them, um, getting to know them, learning about their heritage, learning about their culture, learning about who they are, what their lived experiences are. And, and those experiences are probably going to be more um, persuasive in changing and altering some of these beliefs um, that, that could be more discriminatory based. Um, because they're lived experiences and they're real. The challenge with tribalism is um, the, is cognitive dissonance. When somebody wants to believe in something and they think, well, you know, this must be true because, you know, my, like, depending on what group you are, like, say, say your political party believes this certain thing, um, and because of that affiliation, you feel very committed and loyal to your political party. But there's this part of you, this moral part of you, this ethical part of you that says, I don't actually fully believe that, but I want to believe in my party. I want to believe in my group. I want to believe in this this group that I share this identification with. And so this creates anxiety. It creates tension inside of me because now I'm having to hold to existing truths and and how do I make sense of that? Because they both can't be true at the same time. So in order to relieve yourself of that anxiety and tension, you have to just absolve your group of any wrongdoing and go wholeheartedly uh, commitment to be loyal to that group, despite the, the moral values and conflict that it's creating inside of you. Now you're finding the tribalists going more towards the extremists. That's what happens. That's the danger. Because now you can't rationalize or reason with this person. You can't bring factual scientific evidence and said, well, have you considered these other news media outlets? You know, you're only looking to this one outlet that I know is going to be censored. And you're, you're only going to hear one side of the story. You're not going to get a nice diverse range of opinions and views. You're going to be more pigeonholed. Um, you cannot rationalize with an extremist. It's not possible. You can have conversations with somebody who's more tribalist, but ideally we want to push people towards agency. A person with agency is committed to accountability and responsibility. This is what a parent ultimately should strive for, for themselves, to model for their children and really encourage that that development in their child. You can start as young as two years old, giving your child options. Do you want this one or this one? Would you like to go here or there? Do you want to wear this or this? Um, Because now they're creating some kind of independence and they they can feel confident about who they are. Um, And that doesn't stop. It it can start as young as a toddlerhood and and keep going. Um, Same can be true for adolescents and really encouraging them um, to promote self-agency, I think mentorship is so important. Especially having some kind of guiding person that can really show and educate and explain um, value systems that can be different from a who can be different from a parent. Uh, I think that can be really important. Ask them difficult questions at the dinner table. What was the hardest thing you had to do today? How did you grow because of that? What challenge were you confronted with today? What conflict did you have with yourself today? I mean, these are really hard questions. And you as a parent should model it. Say, this is what I had to do today. This was really hard. This part hurt. I'm still not quite sure how to resolve this situation. I think I'm going to give myself a couple more days before I find a solution. If you're talking about your struggles with your kids, they're learning immensely from that. Um, so much of what a child learns and absorbs is through modeling from a parent, yeah. not so much. What Even if they're what rolling doing. their
0: eyes while you're doing it. Yes. I think that's one of the things. As soon as we get the eye roll or the look of disdain, we mm-hmm. may stop. Um, but that is the protective factor, right? But they're still seeing it when you're doing it. So yes. like pushing them to do it may not work, but I love the modeling it yes. and just consistently modeling it. you know, and build up your own resilience to their eye rolls. (laughs) So you keep doing it with the goal of, I want to show them what this looks like.
1: Yes. Yeah. And then ultimately teaching them, hey, if you're just objectifying this other person by throwing them into this group and objectifying that group, how would it feel for you if I were to do the same thing? You know, here's your group memberships and then just name them off. How would you feel about what other people say about you. And you're committing the same thing by doing that to the other side. So you need to rise above it and be a better human um, and see the individuality in the groups. Uh, there's a lot of social psychology on this. I know it can be challenging, but as parents, I mean, we do it all the time as humans. We, we, try, we have so much information coming at us all the time, all day, every day. We have to simplify that information. It's called heuristics. Yeah. Um, it's part of our survival. We need to know what is threatening, what is dangerous, what is safe, um, what can I trust? And, and they're quick, um, you know, we're, we try and find quick solutions and quick rules of thumb that we can follow. Uh, but that perpetuates discrimination and prejudice because that's also in there. Oh, that there's that person. Homeless people are dangerous. Avoid them, or um, you know, addicts um, are untrustworthy. Don't trust them, uh, and we just dehumanize them because we're lumping them into groups, and we we lose the individuality.
0: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this that parents can do is. Humanize whatever it is that they're feeling against, whatever they're, and a lot of it's from fear, right? Like we put them in, they see them, we see them as dangerous or different or whatever. So finding a way to humanize the very group that they are becoming disdainful toward or discriminatory toward and having that conversation. I know we've done, um, you know, have gone and fed homeless and having sitting down on a bench and having a conversation with a person that's homeless completely changes your perspective of these people are lazy and just reaching, you know, just kind of trying. They have these incredible life stories and just profoundly like heart-wrenching. And you're like, oh my gosh, this could be anyone. And so I think when you humanize and just find one person that can create dissonance in their belief system, that is enough to kind of crack that open a little bit and going. wait a second, if one person isn't like that, maybe more aren't like that.
1: Yes. And then they get to be the voice that speaks up in their groups and say, hey, no, you're wrong. Your attitudes are wrong. I had this experience you should come with me next time.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that is every single person is, is a unique human being. And I think we struggle to see that a lot. And I think this online and gaming presence creates that very thing too, because now there's not only a wall of not having the context, there's a wall of reality. Like We're not even seeing them. We may be seeing seeing their avatar and fake name. Mm-hmm. So we don't even know who that person is. So it's very easy to kind of develop, to dehumanize doing that.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of research out there saying, you know, limiting online gaming and social media use. I, I think the best thing that a parent can do, um, because you can't see everything all the time. I think the best thing that a parent can do to assuage that anxiety um, you know, and want your child to live in a bubble for the rest of their life. Right. We can't do that either. No, you can't do that it either. Makes life easier, but they would not Is really trusting them, promoting self-agency, teaching them about accountability and responsibility, showing respect for them, helping them to build their courage and their confidence, yeah. and ask them, you know, how did you stand up? for your belief today? And how hard was that for you? And how did you feel about yourself afterwards? Um, You know, and it could be something so little, but just the fact that they're looking for it, and, and they're not as tempted to go with, you know, that more of that tribalist belief and what the group is thinking and doing because they themselves don't want to be ostracized or humiliated or rejected. Sometimes it's more important to speak up and be that voice of opposition and still confront rejection. Um, and you're going to learn who
0: your friends are very quickly. Yeah. There's a lot here to process. Mm-hmm. It's very, very helpful. What is one big takeaway that you want parents to, to keep with them after this episode?
1: You know, one of the approaches I have with my client populations, and I, I do this with my daughter as well, and my husband. <laughs> right. It always, it works with everyone, right? It works with everybody, right? Right? everybody that I love. Um, you know, but, but it's this belief that I accept you where you are today and I demand more. And, and so there is this d- dichotomy that exists. It's a dialectic. Um, and both are true. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not, I'm not invalidating your experiences and where you are today. Struggles are a natural part of development. I want you to build struggle muscles to be a better human. And guess what? I'm doing the same thing for myself. I'm always demanding more of myself. But I'm not invalidating, I'm not rejecting myself, I love myself, and, and I'm exuding the same thing to my children and my child and my, my clients and my husband and um, people that I love because I'm committed balance to balance
0: is so important because I think most parents or a lot of parents focus on the wanting more for a good reason. We want them to achieve their potential. We want them to, you know, always be improving and bettering. We do that with ourselves too, right? We're always demanding more. I think that outweighs often the accepting who you are today yeah. and the acceptance of now. And so I think it's really important that our messages convey that too. And I, I think that often gets lost. Do you find that, that, that part of the message?
1: Yes. Yeah. And that creates all kinds of other problems and chasms and dynamics in in relationships and can be underlying reasons of conflicts um, and pain. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, people may do whatever they can to avoid being alienated or rejected, and and it could be self-sabotaging in terms of what they do to get those means and ends. Um, But as as a parent, I think it's important, and I mean, as a, as a human, it's important to really appreciate and respect a, a person's path and journey as being different from your own, not trying to categorize one as being right or wrong, even though there are rules. I mean, obviously, there are social rules. We coexist in a social world, and, and we have to really consider the consequences of our behavior. Yeah. Um, but but I think it's important, yeah, as a parent, if you're sending invalidating messages to your child, they're probably not going to respect you. Right. And if you think you respect them, I mean, really question, do you really? Do you really trust their opinion? Do you really trust them? And if you're doubting them, they're going to pick up on that well, and they'll, they'll probably resent you for it.
0: Oh, well, they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very much so. Okay, what is one action item that parents can do as soon as they finish listening to this episode to improve that connection with their teens that actually helps them resist these, these messages that they're getting online? Engagement.
1: Engage with your child. And and it, it may be you think what is more important is probably going to be different from what actually is most meaningful to the child. So, so you may have to rethink uh, your approach and let your child lead. Let them lead and say, hey, I'd love to spend the afternoon with you today. You choose whatever you want to do. Um, and so, you know, an activity is probably going to be the best way to actually talk to them rather than sitting them at the table, looking them eye to eye in this really uncomfortable confrontational situation. If you're sitting together side by side eating French fries, you're probably going to get a deeper conversation with them. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Or be prepared to play some Minecraft. Let me just say that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And enter their world with them. Have them
1: show you their world. Exactly. I think that's a really great example.
0: Yep. Okay. How do people find you?
1: Um, You can find me online. So my partner Paula and I, we also co-host the podcast named Optimistic American. You can find a lot of tips and strategies for parents on there. And also we have a list of free worksheets that we put together. Um, Our book is Addictive Ideologies. Finding Meaning and Agency When Politics Fail You. You can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you just search for it online, um, you'll find it. There's an audio version as
0: well. Um, I'll have all the links in the show notes too. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on your show, Dr. Kim. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Bashaw. I am so grateful you could join us today.
1: My pleasure.
0: And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I really appreciate you, too. If you found this episode enlightening, take a quick second to click the follow button, then forward it to a friend. If you want more information on how to best support your teens, you can download my 10 top tips for raising teens at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see.